Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everyone. Greg here. Before we begin the podcast today, some news has come out since our last podcast three weeks ago. First, it was announced about two weeks ago, another Revolution podcast, Six States, One Pod, uh, which I know a lot of our listeners listened to and also supported. They announced they will stop their show. They're going to stop producing their show. Um, They've been on a hiatus this season, and as a fan of theirs, this year has not been the same without that podcast coming into my feed every Tuesday morning. All of us on Revolution Recap were huge fans of them, and I've been spending the last few weeks of thinking of what to say to thank them for their hard work over the years and for producing revolution content that was badly needed. Um, and, and, um, and one day I'll go into my thoughts in more detail, hopefully on how much I love their show and how much I'm going to miss it. But tragically, one of the hosts of six States, one podcast, Ray Sullivan passed away this week at the age of 44. I didn't know Ray. I don't have any firsthand accounts of Ray or what a great guy he was. I only knew him through the podcast and interacted with him a few times on Twitter. Um, but every secondhand account I have heard or seen this week or prior to this week, the people who did know him seem to have been very lucky to have him in their lives. And I've spent some time this week reading about what he achieved. Um, and I wanted to spend a moment to briefly highlight his accomplishments and his legacy. Um, He served three terms in the Rhode Island House of Representatives. Uh, He was the head of the 2008 campaign for president for Barack Obama, and he was heavily involved in the fight for marriage equality in Rhode Island. A number of Rhode Island politicians released statements this week describing his impact, and I just wanted to read one here from former Rhode Island Lieutenant Governor Charles Fogarty. Uh, This is via the Providence Journal. Ray had a commitment to public service and improving the quality of life for all Rhode Islanders, whether as a staff person, a legislator, a lobbyist, or just as a person who really cared about the people of Rhode Island. Most people may have never heard of Ray Sullivan, but his efforts over the years have made a big difference in the cause of equal rights and social justice. So on behalf of Chris and Sean, we wanted to start our podcast today to acknowledge Ray Sullivan um, and his contributions to the revolution community Uh, And for all of the causes he fought for and believed in, our condolences go out to all of his friends and family. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're coming to you today after the New England Revolution returned from the international break and only managed a disappointing 2-2 draw against the struggling Chicago Fireside at Gillette Stadium. I'm Sean Donahue, and joining me today is Chris Velukas. Chris, how are you doing? You know, considering the result, I'm doing okay. You know, can't really complain. Uh, Happy to see the Revolution playing again. Happy to see them back out on the pitch. Uh, But definitely disappointed to see the 2-2 result. 
but I also did want to quickly reiterate um, a bit of what Greg said in the, that pre-roll clip that everyone just heard. And I, I just wanted to send out my condolences to uh, the family and friends and uh, all the community around uh, Ray Sullivan. And uh, his passing was just such a, a tragic piece of news to hear. Uh, I just uh, I quickly wanted to add a little bit from my perspective of it. I did not know Ray personally, but I got involved with podcasts in general by listening to Six States, One Pod, uh, listening to Ray, uh, John, and Alex uh, on that team over there. And that's really what drew me into a lot of podcasts in general. Like I listen to a lot more podcasts now because I started listening to revolution podcasts because I started listening to the six States one pod. And so, you know, Ray holds that spot, uh, for me personally, uh, as getting me involved into this sort of media. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really, really sad. And it's, it's something that's really bummed me out. And I know that I would not necessarily be in this position today to be able to be talking on a podcast if it wasn't for Ray and, you know, the team over at six States, one pod. So I just wanted to, to, just again reiterate my condolences and i it's just such a such a big loss for this revs community um and i know it's tough to to bounce back after i'm saying something like that but uh sean how how are you doing no and i completely agree with everything you just said and you know everything greg said in that that intro yeah. um, it, it was you know tough week and and very tough to hear about right i also didn't know him personally but um you know all of us were listeners to Six States One podcast. I think people, you know, might listen to our podcast and you know see us as podcast hosts, but we're also podcast listeners and you know listen to Six Days One Pod and and you know Revs Confidential and all the the Revs podcasts out there. Um, and you know that was one that had been around for a long time. It was really really well produced by them. Um, always you know very impressed to listen to that one. So I you know like like Greg said, we were sad to hear the podcast was going away, and then kind of you know devastated to hear about about Ray. Um, so it's you know just really sad news. Um, you know, not just for what he was doing in the Revs community, but, you know, as Greg pointed out, a lot of the amazing stuff he was doing down in Rhode Island involved in Rhode Island politics and um, in a lot of different areas. So, you know, really sad. But, you know, I, I will say it was great to see that the, the team did spend the time to honor him uh, both at halftime, at the game, and, and both talking about him on the broadcast. So it was great that the team did that. I think it was, you know, certainly the right thing to do. And I was very happy to see that they they, they did that. Um, and there's there's really no great way to tr- transition from that to today's game. Um, but but we'll, we will jump right in. And, you know, you, you talk about the, the disappointing result today. Uh, it could have been the, the perfect sports day in Boston with the Bruins winning their season opener and the Red Sox uh, winning a great game against the Astros. Uh, but the Revs just had to ruin it with a 2-2 draw. Uh, Chris, what, what was your key takeaway from this game tonight? Um, again, a you know disappointing result against a, a Chicago team that's not very good. Yeah, it's a, it's honestly it's just the lack of composure. Uh, you know, the Revs go down and they score and they give up a goal, and it's something that kind of feels like it's becoming a trend, right? So uh, Willie capped him with really a I don't I didn't expect to see a goal like that coming out of out of out of him and off his foot but it was such a good goal very well worked and not even a minute later uh chicago's coming back and equalizing it and then later on in the second half you know gustavo bow eventually gets the go-ahead goal to go up to one and uh this was a little bit later it was 12 minutes later but chicago does come back and obviously gets the draw to to make it finish 2-2 but it makes me wonder like is this something that's becoming a trend what's going on with the revolution you know, mentally, is there anything 
that we need to be concerned about as fans, you know, it seems like it's becoming, like I mentioned at the start of this little rant, is that it's becoming a trend, right? So in the last uh, four games that they've played now, they have conceded a goal within two minutes of scoring a goal three times, which is kind of alarming. That's a lot. So you look back, it's tonight's match, and then there was the, the Montreal match. There was an own goal scored by Montreal. And then two minutes later, Montreal comes back and scores a goal. Obviously, that was different circumstances. That was 3 nothing to make it 3-1. Uh, then before that match, there was another Chicago match where it was uh, on September 23rd, right? Uh, Chicago scored yeah. one minute after the Revs scored. And it's it, it's really a concerning piece. I know we even got a question from this as well uh, from Not Blue, Not Green, It's Teal over on Twitter wanted to know what's going on with the quick response goals. And that's exactly what I want to know too. What's going on with the quick response goals? What is happening with the revolution? Why is there such a lack a lapse of concentration? And is this something that needs to be addressed? Like, obviously I guess, yes, is the answer to that question, but how will it be addressed? What is Bruce going to do? I want to know how the revolution come back from something like that uh, and how they plan on advancing through the playoffs while having these lapses in concentration and just, Hey, we scored a goal. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Hey, they kicked off. Who cares? Let's keep celebrating for another couple of minutes until we concede a goal. And we're like, Oh crap. Now it's, now it's level again, or now we're down a goal. Um, whatever the situation is, it's, it's very concerning to me. And that's my big takeaway is, uh, what, what is this team going to do to, to repair whatever it is that's broken with them? Yeah, no, you. It's a it's a great point, and and as you were saying that, I'm having you know terrible flashbacks to MLS Cup 2006 when when the Revs scored that goal in, in overtime to take the lead, and then you know as they were celebrating, conceded the equalizer <laughs> to to Brian Ching. Uh, so I, I think yeah. no no Rev fans want a repeat of that. Um, but it's it is a legitimate concern, as you know, it's a cliche that you're most vulnerable, you know, right after you score a goal in that you know 90 seconds or whatever it is, and uh, the Revolution have proven that to be true. But it's a surprising thing to see with a Bruce Arena coach team um, that he would, you know, for for all the credit that Bruce Arena gets and deserves, it, it's a little bit surprising to me that with a team coached by him that he hasn't kind of found a solution to this already because it's not a new problem. It's a problem that's been you know coming up again and again for the Revs this year, and it hasn't come back to bite them, you know too often they usually have still managed to get out a win or you know in this case they still managed to get a draw but um you know chicago like i said is not a very good team if you're you know doing this against chicago that's one thing uh, you know if you're doing it in the playoffs against atlanta or you know whoever the revs end up playing a, you know a much better team than chicago whoever it is um it's a lot more troubling so i i don't know how the revs fix that um but i guess i to to kind of jump to another topic that relates to this you know the guy that was particularly at fault on on that first goal. I thought was was Brandon By, who you know had a complete mm. lack of concentration or lack of awareness, and and Madron kind of just ran in untouched behind him, and he didn't pick up on the run. Um, Captoon was was tracking him, and then there was a you know guy open at the top of the box, and Captoon kind of peeled off to cover him, and you know Brandon By was marking nobody, so it was very you know it was clearly Brandon By needed to mark that guy. I don't know if Captoon you know, should have said something and didn't, but you know, either way, I think Brandon Bayes awareness needs to be better. And, you know, Seth, Seth Maycomer pointed out on Twitter that we've seen a lot of goals conceded on, on by side of the fa- of the field recently. And I, I, you know, I've noticed the same thing. Um, Bruce actually said after the game that, you know, Brandon Bayes awareness needs to get better. I don't know the exact quote in front of me, but he essentially said a guy that's been in the league this long, you know, needs to do better in situations like that. And, you know, that it is a problem. So, you know, 
going going to your takeaway is you know is Brandon by part of that problem and are you con- concerned at all that you know I think I think in the past month or so we we have seen these lapses of concentration from him that have that have come to cost the Revs. You know, we, we, Brandon by is such an interesting topic because in the past I've always defended Brandon by by saying that he's much better defensively than he is on the attack and I think that maybe that's changed a bit. He's learned to cross and I think he's done very well at doing so and he's often getting involved in the attack. I've noticed that maybe it's been a bit reversed where now he's getting more involved with the attack and his defensive awareness and his defensive abilities has maybe lacked or his awareness, not his abilities, his abilities, I don't think have lacked at all. I think his awareness has maybe gone down uh, a step or two. Maybe that's something to do with the way that this back line has played so far this year. Uh, I know I, I quickly think about this and, you know, I'm thinking a lot of how Andrew Farrell has played this season and you know he gets depending on who you're talking to he gets either stick or praise by his his flair if you want to call it that or maybe somewhat of a flamboyant type of uh defensive style where he's always doing some sort of acrobatic act to clear the ball i think a lot of that's coming because brandon by is not necessarily defensively in his position uh and maybe that's because he's getting more involved on the attack and maybe brandon by needs to take a step back and focus more defensive and get Tejan onto the pitch and maybe take the, take the ball down the right, the right wing and not let that be where a bias responsibility. Maybe that's what needs to happen. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I'm not Bruce Arena. I'm not a tactical genius like Sam Minton. You know, I, I don't know exactly what needs to happen there, but that's kind of, in my opinion, maybe something along those lines. Yeah. And uh, tactically, I was actually a little bit surprised um, when the revolution were up two to one that, you know, by wasn't staying home more because we saw him kind of bombing forward even when the revolution were late in the game up two to one and that that isn't why the revs conceded the goal that they conceded so i don't the the second goal that is i think you know he gets a lot of blame for the first goal i don't think he i have to go back and look but i don't think he had much to do with the second goal um but i was just surprised as a general observation that you know bruce hadn't told them to kind of stay back more because the revolution made substitutions and we'll again we'll get into this more later but they made substitutions with you know boateng and buchanan um uh, adam buxa coming on to, to play a lot more offensive um so they you know they were giving up a bit especially in midfield on the defensive side so when they had taken that two to one lead i, I would have thought that you know by would have been one of those guys that would have been asked to stay back a bit more to kind of consolidate the lead and, and play safe defensively, but he was still, you know, really pushing forward. Um, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's why the Revs conceded that second goal, but that's something that seems like in the future, you know, could be problematic. You know, the Revs made these subs to go out there and, and get a winner, and then they got what could have been that winner, and then, you know, they didn't seem to really adjust after that to kind of play more solid defensively, um, which doesn't really fit with what we've seen from Bruce Arena this year, because I think we have seen him, you know, kind of play smart and more defensively when they have a, a lead late. But so that was, you know, kind of another observation that um, we might we might hit on a little bit more later. But that goes into a bit of the, the second goal that that Chicago scored, too, is, you know, Gustavo Bor- uh, Bo. Wow. I, I'm having trouble with his name, but Gustavo Bo going down and it nearly bagging the the third goal for the revolution and i'm, I'm pretty sure it was gustavo right uh, correct me if i'm wrong there but uh slanina for chicago makes an incredible save diving to his right and parries the ball away and that starts the attack for chicago that's something where the revolution are like oh wow we were so close but you know what we're still up to one who cares they had a very lackadaisical attitude you know the fact that 
they missed putting the game away at that moment really came back to bite them. I know you mentioned earlier that it doesn't necessarily come back to bite them, but definitely tonight it did. And against better opposition, you know, Chicago Fire, they have some good players on the team, but they're we're not joking or like they're not kidding anybody by thinking that like they're a quality side to be to be facing when it comes to MLS opposition, right? So against better opposition, this is going to be a much different scenario. A 2-2 draw is, is going to be a lucky result against a better team, against you know the New York Cities or the Nashvilles of the league. Or, or I don't want to talk about Seattle too much because I talk about them a lot in this show. Uh, you know, Seattle, I think, is a class above all those teams. So if they get to MLS yes. Cup and, and play against Seattle, you're, you're definitely not going to get away with that against them. Um, Although Seattle is losing right now against Houston, I think it's worth noting. So I'll keep yeah. I'll keep everyone updated as the, as it goes on. Even though when this pod comes out, it's going to be well after that game is over. De- definitely worth noting because it's good for the Revolution, but also not worth taking much away from as far as Seattle's quality because Rui Diaz and Ladero are not playing in this, and and uh, neither is Jordan Morris, who it sounds like is going to be back soon. So it's a it, I, who I cares about up, the details? <laughs> I pull, I pulled up that Seattle lineup and it is not a particularly impressive lineup. By, Kellen by Rowe Seattle is on the stairs. page. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, and they I think they're like one or two players short on the bench too, so uh, it gives you an idea of uh, you know how how healthy Seattle is right now, which is I think is probably Seattle's biggest problem going into the playoffs. But um, but they you know in theory have been getting healthier as the year has gone along. So that's a that's a problem or and a discussion for another day. Um, but I wanted to get into a, another problem for the Revolution going into the playoffs Please. beyond beyond Seattle. Um, and this is one that a couple people asked about, but one we've talked about before. Um, Raleigh Revs fan on Twitter asked, is the layoff during the playoff bye week a concern? Looked rusty tonight. A better team will punish. Going back a little bit to what you said, James Downing on Twitter said, looked sloppy after the long layoff. Should we be increasingly concerned with the monster layoff we could be looking at in the playoffs? So what, was this a 17-day gap here? 16, 17 days, I think? You put me on the spot. I didn't count, but it was, it was two and a half weeks. Yeah. yeah, so it, it was it was shorter than the potential gap between the playoffs because the potential mm-hmm. gap between the playoffs could actually be 23 days, I believe, um, which is absolutely insane. So I think the Revolution's last game was on the 7th. Um, or Yeah, I think the Revolution's last game was on November 7th. And then the, the, the playoff game, um, we have, a, have some inclination would be the Tuesday game, which is November 30th. So that'd be a 23-day gap. Um, I'm, I'm just assuming that the 30th is going to be the game because we heard Bruce Arena say several weeks ago on his 98.5 interview that he heard the Thanksgiving Day game is going to be a Western Conference day, a Western Conference game, and I believe um, the Patriots are playing at home uh, on that Sunday. So I, I don't, it just seems like unlikely that the Revolution will play one of those days. So it's probably going to be the Tuesday game. Either either way, whether it's you know the Saturday game or the Tuesday game or the Thanksgiving Day game, it's going to be a longer gap than the Revolution had just now. And I think that is a massive concern for the Revolution because I do think they looked you know sloppy and sluggish and rusty to start this game. And I absolutely think the gap um, was the main catalyst for that. And you know, make that gap even longer, and, and it's extremely problematic. Chicago had a, a decent layoff too, not quite as long as the Revs, and I think that probably impacted them a little bit as well. So at least there was a little bit of you know equilibrium there. But the Revolution are going to be playing a team that played another playoff game, you know, four or five days before. 
Um, so, you know, they're going to have momentum. They're going to have just won a big game, and they're going to go into this game, you know, probably raring to go and, and pretty sharp. And if the Revolution come out sluggish like they did in this game, you know, that could spell disaster. Because, again, whoever the Revolution play in the playoffs are going to be a better team than the Chicago Fire. So I think that is a, a massive concern. And But if I'm being honest, I think that is the biggest uh, detriment to the revolution going into the playoffs or the biggest concern going into the playoffs. If, if one thing is going to stop the revolution from winning MLS Cup, I think the biggest thing that could stop them is the momentum killer massive break. So I don't know what the revolution do to, to solve that. I think they, you know, some some part of that has to be that they play a friendly match. And I've, you know, I've seen some people say maybe play, um, you know, one of the local teams like Providence City or Revs 2. <laughs> I think they need to play a good team. I think they need to play a competitive match. I, you know, we saw... San Jose play Cruz Azul during this last break. Um, there were some problems there with, with red cars and fans. And uh, obviously, you don't want to have that happen going into the playoffs. But I think the Revolution need to find a way to play, you know, a, another good team. And, and maybe the Revolution can find a team that's in the Western Conference, um, you know, or something that's going into the playoffs as well that also is in a similar situation um, that the Revolution are, you know, unlikely to face in the playoffs and, and play them. I, I, I any any random team in the West that you know has the same situation, I think that would make sense for the Revs because even the teams that are going to be playing in the first round have a long gap. So um, I think that something like that is what the Revolution need to do because they they need something to continue their momentum going forward and to continue their sharpness. And if they just don't go you know twenty three days with just practices and no game, I think that's going to spell complete disaster for the Revolution. Uh, and, and be a, a massive problem. And, you know, you, you mentioned on Twitter that this was kind of a, a test case for that. And I don't think they passed that test. No, not at all. And it, I would I, I was calling it a soft test where I think the gap is smaller than what they're going to be facing when it comes to the postseason. And it's also a soft test because the opponent that they're facing is going to be much stronger than what they saw tonight. And on both accounts, it's not looking promising for how it's going to turn out. However, if I'm not mistaken, I will. I do believe that the revolution had a week off. Uh, so the players that were not necessarily on international duty were still allowed time away from the pitch and not necessarily training every single day. Uh, I'm sure there was players that were training, you know, optionally, but there was no mandatory trainings from what I have gathered uh, for one one whole week during that whole period. And so that could play a lot into it as well. The fact that once the regular season ends after November 7th, I don't think there's going to be a, a week off. You might get a day or two days off here or there, but it's going to be preparing. It's going to be go time. This is now this is when the, the season starts. And there, I hope it's going to be a huge mentality shift saying, OK, no more games, no more messing around. It's time to get the job done. If the revs can't make that mental switch, there's going to be a big issue. And we're going to see a lot of what we saw tonight, a lot of poor passes, a lot of sloppy play. You know, there were so many passes, even coming out the back on, you know, uncharacteristic passes like Henry Kessler, just tapping the ball up to, to, uh, I don't remember who he's passing to on the specific occasion I'm thinking of, but just not necessarily putting enough mustard on the ball, not getting it to where it needs to go, allowing Chicago to, to step in and, and get a step ahead and and really create trouble and not allow the revolution to get out of pressure. And that was a big issue for a lot of the night, especially in the first half where Chicago just kept pressing and kept pressing and the Revs couldn't seem to find a way out of it. Every time they did, they would turn the ball over in one way or another. They were trying short, short one, two passes. They were not connecting. And a lot of it was just due to rust. And is that because they took a week off as a, as a, as a club or is that because 
they haven't played a, a game in 16, 17 uh, days? That's a good question. That's something I would like to know necessarily what the catalyst is for why they were so rusty. Because in my opinion, they were more rusty than what I expected. I don't know if you feel the same way, Sean, but the gap in schedule, to to your point, is is going to be a huge a, a huge focus point going into the postseason. It's something that I'm very concerned about. I mean, heck, with how, how short the off seasons are these days, it's almost a gap as long as the off season. It's, it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it's it's you know, I, I'm sure that a little bit of time off contributed, but I I, I don't think that that's the whole problem. I think the gap without any you know competitive match is a, is a huge massive problem and i you know i already thought this was going to be a big issue going into the playhouse and and watching this game just me confirmed kind of what i already thought um so we'll we'll see what happens but i do think it's it's kind of vitally important that the revolution schedule some sort of friendly during that gap and i think it has to be a friendly against a team that's actually going to challenge the revs not a friendly against a team they're going to walk over because I, i don't think that would have that you know i mean that that would help a little bit that'd be better than nothing but i don't think that's the kind of you know sharpness that they need going into the playoffs so we'll we'll see what happens but this game was a you know kind of a, a red flag for something that was already on the radar or something extremely problematic but you know if if there's my biggest concern going into the playoffs that is my biggest concern going into the playoffs that they're going to have such a big gap before a game because it's you know it kills your sharpness and it absolutely kills your momentum and the revolution had a lot of momentum going into this last break uh, and uh, you know you you saw none of that to start this game. So you're talking about sharpness, and I'm going to say I want to add on just to point out that I think every single player on this roster had an issue with with how sharp they were. Carly's heel was missing passes. He yep. missed a shot early on in the match that was chested down to him from Teal Bunbury. I don't remember the minute, but it was in the first 15 minutes of the match. And you know, it, not necessarily an easy play, but it's a play that Carly's heel should make, and it's something that you'd expect him to make. Uh, Gustavo Bo consistently made poor passes while trying to cross it in to try to find an open Teal Bunbury, an open Carlos Hill, or an open uh, Adam Buxa. And it's it's not necessarily just the Brandon Buys or or the Henry Kesslers that were making poor passes. It was also in the attack, and it was a lot of the reason why the Revolution only came away with two goals. They had uh, many times they had you know a, a lopsided attack where they were you know, going forward four on two, three on two, whatever it is, the numbers that were in the revolution's favor and they couldn't even come away with the shot. You had an 18 year old goalkeeper. I I know he's very good and he's going to be an up and coming goalkeeper. He's going to be a real force to be reckoned with in the future, but he's still 18 years old. I don't care how good he is. You need to start testing that keeper. And the fact that they weren't just taking shots whenever they had space really, I think set the, set the tone for the entire match. Um, and that's you're not, that's giving, him, you're not giving him enough credit because he's only 17. <laughs> he's 17. Exactly. So, I mean, when I was 17 years old, I, I mean, I was, you know, five foot seven, 125 pounds, a, a tiny little, little specimen of human being. Um, nothing compared to what Slanina can Slanina currently is as a professional athlete at 17, which is, it just blows my mind to see him playing goalkeeper, uh, as good as he is too. But you, you gotta you gotta pressure the kid he's 17 years old you have these grown men out on the pitch that just can't seem to test him why not just just put the ball on frame and worst case scenario you're gonna start drawing chicago's defense out a little bit to stop giving you that space nobody was taking the shots whenever they were afforded to them that was really driving me nuts all match and 
just the rustiness though to, i don't want to get off your point too far here but the, the rustiness i think it was just everybody um the only person that seemed on his game when it came to passing was matt turner which is really bizarre to say everyone else i thought had a really poor game overall they just made uncharacteristic passes not smart decisions and it, just turning the ball over in general uh in in poor poor spots uh i, I don't know I, I can go on and on i guess about the same exact thing when we start going in circles about it but that's kind of how i felt it's just it was so much rust and it it, it really is a concern I, I will say i thought dewan jones was one of the least rusty looking players out there as well so i'll, I'll give him a little bit of credit in a, in a group of very sloppy and rusty looking revolution players i thought i thought he actually looked pretty pretty decent from the start of this game um the rest of them yep. found their way into it later on but he was he was one one guy that kind of stood out to me as 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 doing you know pretty pretty well for for the long layoff so hopefully hopefully yeah whatever whatever he did the rest of the team can learn from yeah and there were players that made good plays as well you know matt polster i, I mentioned this to you before we started recording but matt polster in i think the 12th minute made it a made it a really nice pass to, to gustavo Bo from midfield down the right flank it found him into space, but it led to nothing again. Um, and I think that's that that needs to go with saying. But Dewan Jones, uh, I'll, I'll give that to you. I think he had a good get good match. Tell that to Foot Mob though, because they gave him a six point six rating, which is not necessarily good. And, and just one last thing here, I do want to point out that Bruce Arena was asked if the gap caused a problem after the game, and he said no. So he wouldn't use it as an excuse. Um, I don't think he should use it as an excuse because when you use it as an excuse, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when, when they have another gap before the playoffs. But I think, you know, un- unquestionably it played a role. And I think, you know, if Bruce Arena was being honest and, and you know, at <laughs> a vacuum, he would he would probably admit that that was the case. But um, I will give him credit. He didn't use it as an excuse. And I think that from him has to be the attitude because they're going to be dealing with this again. So, um, you don't don't make that a you know self fulfilling prophecy and give him that excuse. With with that said, I think we covered a lot of the topics I wanted to cover that haven't been covered by uh, listener questions. So before we do jump into listener questions, and there are a lot of them, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of the podcast, Glocko Kits. Glocko Kits is the go to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does its selection. And if you head to GlockoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. Again, that's REVSRECAP, all one word, at checkout for 15% off your order at GlockoKits.com. There's actually a lot of REVS gear up there right now, so as you gear up for the playoffs, jump onto GlockoKits, use code REVSRECAP, save some money, uh, and get some REVS items up there. I think... Uh, we've seen a shortage in revs items in some places where people are looking for things. So get some both vintage and new revs items at Galaco Kits using code REVSRECAP. Uh, and with that, we have a lot of listener questions. Um, the first kind of bunch is all focused around the defense. Um, John Pilkington on, twi- on Twitter asked, what happened to the defense this year? Gustavo Lopez on Twitter asked, why does our defense concede way too many goals? Mark on Twitter said, the defense really concerns me. Does it concern you as well? Going into the postseason, are we starting to show cracks and weaknesses? What do you think, Chris? You know, I, I think it's a little bit overblown, maybe. Uh, the Revolution have conceded 36 goals uh, so far this season, and that's the 10th least amount in MLS. So they're kind of middle of the pack. Uh, if you want to compare it to maybe last season where they were exceptionally good defensively, um, it's it's definitely a different point of contention. I think that might have been more of the focus was to not allow so many goals, whereas this year the focus has been more on 
let's try to score so many goals. And also, they're playing up a lot more often than they were last year. So it's a, it's a different roster. It's a different play style. It's a lot of different tactics. When you're playing with the lead, you're not necessarily always looking to try to get more goals. You're you're going to be inviting a little bit more pressure and and trying to just close out a game and, and see the game out. And that, that will invite more pressure. That will invite teams to maybe test you a bit more. So I don't necessarily think that our defense has necessarily completely 180'd from last year. I think it's still overall the same defense. Uh, maybe they've conceded a little bit more overall. And maybe that has something to do with, I think Matt Turner necessarily hasn't been as great as, as he's been last year, as great as he was in the playoffs. Definitely not that. And then, you know, maybe ever since the Gold Cup tournament, you know, Sean and I, Sean, you and I had, had discussed this as well previously, but ever since the Gold Cup, I feel like Matt Turner hasn't really been himself in net necessarily. He's been a standard MLS goalkeeper. He hasn't been a stellar MLS goalkeeper. And that plays a little bit into it as well. I think tonight, maybe both of the goals that were scored, he might have uh, been able to do a little bit better on. Uh, so that that definitely plays into it a bit. But overall, I think the, def- the defense not necessarily has been worse. I think it's just maybe seen a bit more pressure. You know, the Revolution are used to playing, looking for more goals, uh, pressing up higher, really trying to get something out of a match offensively, uh, as opposed to trying to to stand pat and not and and close out a game. Uh, and so I think that's just been a bit more of the difference, a bit more of the of why it seems like the Revs have been conceding more. I don't know, Sean, do you kind of agree with that or? Am I kind of taking this out of left field here? No, I agree with that. I think the defense kind of is who we thought it was. I mean, it's not perfect. Um, they've performed really well over the years, um, but they've shown there are some areas of weakness. Um, but you know, what what is concerning is what you said, Matt Turner. I think Matt Turner, he's still playing well, but he was playing kind of at an otherworldly level last year. And I think he was at the beginning of the season too. Um, but over the past couple of months, we, we haven't seen that as much. And I think he, I think he even commented himself at some point um, recently that, you know, he didn't think he was playing at his best. So uh, I think that's concerning because I think, you know, Matt Turner is a huge part of this team's success. And if he's not playing at the level we know he's capable of playing at, uh, you know, the defense needs to step up and the rest of the team needs to do more to make up for that. So, um, <laughs> and you know, it will be, I'm sure people won't like that I'm saying this, but I think that his case for goalkeeper of the year this year is weaker than his case was last year. I think he probably should have won it last year, but I, I think if I'm being, you know, nonpartisan and completely, you know, objective looking at statistics and everything, I think Andre Blake probably should be goalkeeper over the year over Matt Turner at this point, pending you know something changing in the past few weeks. And I'm, I'm sure I'll get tweeted at for that. And I'm, I'm glad Greg's not on because I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate that. But I think that's the reality. Um, so that that's concerning to me that you know Matt Turner is not playing at his best. Um, and you know, P Mart. Uh, 2452 mentioned that he thought it was a weak goal to let in for Turner for a goalkeeper of Turner's caliber. That that second goal, I think it was. I think it was you know a tough angle for the goal scorer there, and maybe he was shielded a little bit. But I think peak Matt Turner saves that. Um, yep. So that that's a concern. And then the, what we talked about earlier, Brandon Bay's kind of lack of awareness that we've seen recently on a lot of kind of trailing runners that have come into the box on his side where he's the only guy that would be capable of picking them up and he doesn't pick them up and kind of marks space instead. That's concerning. Um, you know. That's hopefully fixable. 
Um, hopefully Bruce Arena can kind of coach that out of him, but you know that's a concern to me, and, and Matt Turner's play is a concern to me. Otherwise, I, I think the defense is kind of you know what we thought they were, and it doesn't surprise me that you know they have some games where they give up goals that look a little bit sloppy because they're not a perfect defense. Um, I think we maybe got a little too hyped about them at some times this year because of how well they were doing and, and how many shutouts they had and um, at, at certain points. But I, I, I guess this what we're seeing now doesn't surprise me. Um, so. And I want to make it clear that we're still a pro Matt Turner podcast. So yes, uh, yes. we can only be so negative about him uh, per night. So he he can't be the most amazing goalkeeper on the planet every single game. So every everybody has a little bit of a slump, and during his his slump, I think he's still much better than the average MLS goalkeeper. It's just mm-hmm. going from being completely unbeatable to showing a little human side that that I think we've seen the past couple months um, as, as the revs headed towards the playoffs is a little bit concerning. Um, And, you know, on the, the general note of how the revolution looked, Randy LH on Twitter said, we looked pretty bad. Let's be honest. Do you think it was the two weeks of rust or something deeper? Uh, We talked about the rust. Do you think it was just that Chris, or do you think there was anything more than that? No, I mean, it's just the rust. And, you know, uh, our, our three players that were still playing during that international window, Matt Turner, he looks fine. Tejan Buchanan, he looked like himself. Uh, I don't know if I'd say he looks fine, but he looked like himself at least. And then uh, Adam Buxa, I thought he looked really good. He looked sharp. You know, he had a nice shot on goal right when he came on, uh, try to impact the game. I thought it was a nice idea to go near post on that shot. Uh, Slanina just uh, bested him on that, on that chance right there. I didn't have any issues with how Buxa played. And I mean, I had some issues with how Tejan played, I guess, but that's just Tejan. Um, overall, no, I I think it's just rust. I think the the players that were not playing during that international period are the ones that really uh, showed some weaknesses tonight and and showed rust. And like I said, I think Dewan Jones was maybe the only player that really looked sharp out there. Even Carles Hill, I thought, looked uh, pretty poor overall. So, yeah, I, I, I'm attributing it to rust. If it carries over to the midweek game, then maybe it's something more. But I think it's just rust. Yeah, I think it's just rust. I'm not. I mean, again, the the kind of weaknesses in the defense that we saw, I don't think are new. Um, but I, th- I think it, what we saw today was just a product of rust. Um, but although, although um, like you said, I think Tejan had a couple of moments that you would have liked to have seen him do better on. But I mean, he shouldn't have been rusty because he was playing international games. Um, he could have put that game away with that chance where Carles played a fantastic ball to him and he was behind the defense. And instead of taking a shot, he kind of tried to dribble around the keeper and dribbled right into his arm. So that that was kind of the biggest disappointment from Tejan tonight, I thought. But we're, yep. we're going to get more to him later because we got some questions about him. Real quick, before we jump on to the next question, I just want to make it known that uh, as of this moment right now, Seattle just lost the game official. Two one, so the Revs kind of got a little bit of a silver lining tonight. Uh, where when it a comes big to big silver lining, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it comes to supporter shield race, so uh, the Revs now are six points away from clinching supporter shield. Uh, when you're comparing them with Seattle, I don't think uh, Kansas City is in the race anymore. Uh, so yeah, six points is now the number that we're looking for uh, for the Revs to get supporter shield. Anyway, carry on with the questions. I just had to interrupt with that news. No, that's, that's huge. Um, because if, you know, Seattle had a chance to really close the gap a bit, um, given their games in hand and everything else, if they had, if they had gotten the three points, the Revs only gave one. So that's Jao Polo, Jao Polo, whatever his name is. He came inches away from tying the game in the 94th minute on a free kick. Um, so the Revs got really lucky. It went off the bottom of the crossbar and did, it did not go in the net. So, 
Yeah. Well, some some good news for Revs fans then. Um, yeah. Going going back to PMart twenty four fifty two, um, he, he asked, "What are we doing up a goal, leaving three back to to that easily be countered in the eighty eighth minute?" And I think this goes a little bit back to kind of my comments on what they were doing with Brandon Bysta pushing him up late. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about kind of the the strategy of still kind of pushing guys forward and leaving the defense a bit exposed there? Yeah, I think this comes back to my takeaway as well. Like uh, both of our takeaways are, are kind of covered. When it comes to this one question, they were pushing up, trying to get that that finishing, that game clinching goal. And they were pushing Gustavo Bo, put that uh, shot on target. It was a really good shot. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Gustavo Bo, right? Uh, but um, I believe so. Yep. Okay. Uh, either way, that that shot, that Slanina save was it was really incredible, and that really started a counter. They were the Revolution were really pushing, trying to close this game out, and uh, I think that's in a way how you need to approach a game. But when you're looking at the the time too, so it was 87th, 88th minute, something like that, when they were really pushing, trying to get that goal. And then of course, uh, Slanina makes a save and it just really counters uh, the, uh, the, I, I can't think of the word. I don't know why I, I'm, I have such a hard time finding words sometimes when I'm on this podcast, but uh, all the, all the, uh, the momentum, that's what I'm looking for. It just really it, it changed sides to Chicago. The Revs kind of just felt defeated. Oh, we couldn't quite get it. But you know what? We're still up to one. That uh, that lack of accountability for trying to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do when uh, when you see Slanina make that save, when Gustavo almost scores, and you're like, ah, oh, well, you know what? We're still up to one. Two seconds later, just like that, any lapse of concentration in MLS at this stage in 2021 is going to to result in a goal against. And I think that's what happened, in my opinion. I think that's why there's three back there. Shouldn't have been three back there. The Revolution were not quick enough to, to in transition, to get back and have everyone in, in position where they need to be. They're not playing a three back. They don't ever necessarily play a three back, except for when they're attacking, when they're pushing for a goal. That's the only time that you ever see the Revs with three in the back. And I, I, that's... In my opinion, exactly what happened. I think they just got caught out of position. They got caught sleeping. The game's almost over. Let's just go home. They were thinking about their dinner plans, not thinking about trying to make sure that they wrap up the win. And it's just a mental mistake, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm going to pose a question to you. I, I completely agree with everything you said, but you know, the revolution did have two substitutions left and they did have one period in which to make it. So they felt, I mean, they gave up the equalizer. They brought on a lot of subs to make the team more offensive with, you know, Boateng and Buchanan um, and Buxa. And they got that equalizer in the 76th minute. Should Bruce Arena, and we've seen him do this a lot this season, have brought on some defensive subs at that point to try to close out the win? Because when you look at who they had out there on in paper, that is a, a vulnerable lineup to the counterattack. When you have, you know, so many offensive-minded players out there, you know, Buchanan, Boateng, Bunbury, Carles Heel, Gustavo Bo, Adam Buxa, those are all primarily offensive minded players. So and then we you know we talked about Brandon Bai being a guy that pushes forward a lot. So you know, we've seen Scott Caldwell, who you know, for whatever reason was on the game day roster today, come in in that situation to try to lock things down. They had yep. Luis Caicedo available. Um, and if you're putting Luis Caicedo on this bench over Scott Caldwell, I think you're saying that he can also fulfill that same role. So do you think Bruce Arena, when they had gone up two to one in the 76 minute should have towards the end of that game brought on a Luis Caicedo, say for Gustavo Bo to kind of shore up the defense and, and leave them less vulnerable to the counterattack. 
Yeah, that's the exact substitution that I was thinking should have been made was Luis Caicedo coming in for Gustavo Bo. You don't need Gustavo Bo in there going 90 minutes, especially when he's already bagged a goal. You don't need that to happen. And, you know, to your point or to Scott Caldwell's point, you know, he's being called the closer this year for a reason. It's not just a fun nickname. I mean, in a way, yeah, it's a fun nickname for him. But also he comes in for a reason. He comes in to finish the game. He's not coming in to try to win you a game. He's coming in to close out the match. And I I think Scott Caldwell should have been on this roster. I think instead of having both AJ De La Garza and Christian Mafla and John Bell on the roster, I think one of those maybe should have made way for uh, Scott Caldwell. And I think Scott Caldwell really could have helped in a match like tonight. Luis Caicedo, fine. You know, I, I would prefer Scott Caldwell in this situation because I think Luis Caicedo is not necessarily as uh, as good of a player when it comes to trying to slow the game down and to write it, to 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 play possession. But fine. I don't, you got to do something. All the substitutions they made were attacking subs, like you had mentioned. They took out Wilfred Captain. They took out Tommy McNamara. And, you know, Teal Bumbery obviously came out as well. But, they, you know, when they bring in Emma Boateng and they bring in Tejan Buchanan for the other two midfielders, you're left with just a back four and Matt Polster. And then you have everyone else pushing up high. You know, granted, the Revolution did get the goal out of those subs, which I think is, a, is something to take away. And I think the fact that subs are being made earlier in the match is also something to look at and to say, hey, that's a positive sign because Bruce Arena likes to, to wait and hold his cards until the 80th minute for whatever reason. The fact that he made those subs a little bit earlier today was encouraging to me, but you said he only used two of his three windows. And you can also make subs at halftime, too. If you're going to be bringing uh, Adam Buxa on, the only reason that he didn't necessarily start is because he came back from international duty. Why not make that sub at halftime and save one of those windows? You know, there's a lot of questions I have with how Bruce Arena makes his substitutions, and I don't agree with 90% of his substitutions that he makes. Um, Granted, Bruce Arena is, you know, the GOAT of MLS head coaches, so... Uh, who am I to, to sit here and, and judge his decisions on substitutions? But when I'm looking at the result of the match, I think that he could have done quite a bit differently to make, you know, maybe secure the victory tonight. There is a saying in soccer, and you know, players win games and coaches lose them. And, you know, nobody won or lost tonight. But I, I think playing at home against this Chicago Fire team, a draw is an unacceptable uh, result. And I think it, Essentially, it it's almost as bad as a loss, right? Yeah, and and I just look at you know the goal they conceded, the counterattacking goal, and you just on, in theory at least, if you had Luis Caicedo playing next to Matt Polster, that's the type of goal that's a lot easier to prevent. So uh, that that surprises me, I guess you know looking back in hindsight, because we've seen Bruce make subs like that a lot this year, and and if and if the reasoning for not bringing in Luis Caicedo is that he doesn't trust him as much as Scott Caldwell, then why is Scott Caldwell not on the bench? But yep. well, and they started the game playing a four-two-three-one, and to your credit, you were mentioning earlier in the in the podcast what formation were they playing once they brought in all these attackers? They took out, you know, a, a defensive midfielder and then a central midfielder who I don't know where Tommy Mack actually fits in on the on the pitch. But they took those two out for attack-minded players. Where are is everyone else going to be playing? They took out a lot of defensive ability. They just, just uh, Bruce kind of destroyed that whole formation. And, and you know, I guess granted it wasn't really working, but I think a lot of that was just due to players 
and being rusty. It wasn't a fact that the formation wasn't functional. I think having two defensive midfielders or defensive-minded midfielders on the pitch at the same time is not a bad thing, especially against a team that is been that has been struggling so much as Chicago has. Uh, it, it a lot of the the, the personnel deployment really kind of made me scratch my head tonight. Yeah, and and I I get kind of you know going very offensive to to go out and get the win and take the lead, but you know he, the the thing that bothers me is that you had an opportunity to go back out there once you got the lead and adjust into a formation that actually made sense and was more sound defensively. And he passed up on that opportunity. So I think that's, that's the part that sticks out to me. Um, And uh, Bobby Reverson on Twitter asked, is there something that Chicago does that makes uh, the revolution vulnerable to a quick counter? I feel like they did this before. It does feel like they did this before. Is it something about Chicago in particular? What do you think, Chris? They did do it to us before, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, it was what Chicago, uh, September twenty third, I think it was that I said right. Teal Bunbury scores in the in the sixty second minute, and they come back. At Gaston Jimenez comes back in the sixty third minute um, to tie it up two two. I think you know the Revs eventually went on to win that match uh, thanks to a Carly's heel uh, goal in the ninetieth minute. But yeah, they've done this to us before. They've had our number. Maybe it's just a Chicago thing. Maybe it's something to do with Chicago because the Revolution opened the season against Chicago and. Kirk from wrong, but I believe that was season opener against Chicago, where it was a, a two-all draw. Yes, it was because they scored in the first 12 minutes, so there was no quick counter, I guess, in that match. But in the season opener, it was a, it was a two-all draw against Chicago, and then in Chicago, uh, the Revolution came out with you know a very late winner. Was it 90 91st minute? I think it was actually. It was in stoppage time uh, where Carlos Hill got the winner. Three to two, so it was a one goal victory, and then of course tonight it's just a two two draw. So, yeah, Chicago kind of has number. Thankfully, we're not going to be seeing Chicago in the playoffs because they did get eliminated with the draw tonight. Yeah, and Chicago has some some talent. I mean, we we talk about yep. them struggling, but offensively, especially, there's some talented players there that you know can cause any team's problems and it certainly cause the Revs problems. So it's not it's not too shocking that defensively the Revs have had some issues with them. But um, but yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot. There's there's some problems that the revolution have defensively and the Chicago was able to exploit them. Um, so Charles Maddox kind of asked a similar question on, on Twitter. How did he draw a team at the bottom of the table like Chicago, but are expected to get results in places like DC and Orlando where the atmosphere is going to be more difficult to deal with. It has to be more clinical on the offensive third. Um, Chris, I, I, I mean, I think you're probably on the same page with me that, you know, this was, this was rust. You can't read too much into this result, but at the, you know, how do you expect it to result in DC and Orlando? I think the answer is we've seen the revolution do that all season. And I think the revolution have had some of their worst performances against crappier teams, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, let me answer this question, I guess, with a question towards you, Sean, and say, do you think that the revolution possibly uh, play to the level of their opponent? I think they do to some to extent, me. because I, I feel like the, the worst performances for the revs have been against some of the teams that aren't so doing so well in the standings. So I, I think uh, yeah, there, Toronto, I think FC Dallas, Chicago twice. And they, and they seem to, I think they kind of get up for the games that are in the exciting atmospheres and difficult places to play too. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I think this was kind of a, again, a, a rusty game and, um, I, that, that part doesn't worry me. We've seen the revolution get big wins in difficult places. So, um, I, and I also, think, I think Matt Turner elevates his games when he's in a difficult place like DC or Orlando, uh, when especially when they're fighting for playoff positions. So, 
Yeah, and then and Mike Kennedy asked, "Is the sloppiness in the final third concern you going into the playoffs?" So this is a, a bit of similar question to, to Charles Maddox. Um, or are you comfortable based on the impressive, impressive record this season in KG one goal games? The KG one goal games, yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit annoying, I guess, to not be able to relax at the end of a game uh, as a Revs fan or a Revs supporter this year because it's been a lot of one goal games or it's been a lot of draws. I think there was only two, maybe three games that they won uh, by multiple goals. I think it was only two. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me necessarily or it doesn't concern me that they're only winning by one goal because you only need to win by one goal. So who cares how many goals you win by? When you look at the wins counter, it doesn't say that you blew teams out or you you just barely won. It's, It's the fact that you're just getting the win and that's what matters at the end of the day. The thing that does worry me a little bit is the sloppiness in the final third but at the same time if you're looking at the statistics the revs are clearing away the best team as far as goals scored uh they have 59 goals scored so far and that is tops in mls so yeah there's concern i mean uh, they could be setting all sorts of records if they were finishing you know just a just a bit more of the chances that are getting created but uh uh, overall, no, because they're still creating enough chances to make up for their inept, ineptis, ineptitude uh, when it comes to, to finishing. And I think we've been asking, people have asked this question, we've been asking this question all season, and at some point, you know, you have to, like you said, the Revolution have the most goals in the league, and they're they're finding ways to win all these games. So at some point, it's it's not just luck, it's, you know, the, the Revolution create a lot of chances and they don't finish as many as they should, but they still finish enough to put teams away and get the win. Um, and this was a perfect example of a game where, you know, the revolution could have scored more goals than they did and it came back to bite them. But most of the time this season that hasn't happened. So, um, you know, it, it, it concerns me a little bit because it's the same way it's concerned us all season. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to be too concerned because this, this has, you know, this has been a problem all season and that the Revolution are creating a lot of chances and, and finishing some of them, but not as many as they could be. Um, and they're still in first place on pace to set the, be- the best record in the history of the league. So um, I don't know. I think I think it's, at this point you have to kind of be comfortable about their ability to, to generally win one goal games. Can I ask you, though, Sean, so when it comes to playoff time, if the Revs face a team like Nashville, where it's going to be limiting their their chances, this might be the only scenario where I'm actually concerned because the Revolution do so well because they get so many chances. But Nashville, I think, is one of the, the greatest defensive sides that we've seen in MLS. Maybe not statistically. I don't know where they statistically because I have not been following that club's, you know, that closely. But when you're watching the way that they play – they, you know, obviously they are parking the bus. They're sitting eight back most of the time, and they're extremely difficult to break down. It has proven difficult for the Revs to be able to break them down. And also, Nashville's been very good at being able to score so far this season as well. So that might be the only matchup where I'm looking at saying if they can't start converting their chances, they might be in for a big surprise uh, if Nashville comes to town. I'll agree with that. If they're playing a team like Nashville that's so capable of parking the bus and doing it very well, then that that is where it comes more into play. Although, um, you know, even with what we were saying about Matt Turner earlier, I still like the the Revs' chances if it goes to a zero zero PK shootout and Matt Turner is a net. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. But no, I, I I agree. When you're playing a team that can play defense as well as Nashville can, 
um, that's that's definitely a concern. And I think it's a concern for any team. But you know, the the Revolution haven't created enough chances against a Nashville to be wasteful with them. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I think any Revs fan will be hoping that the Revolution don't face Nashville for a lot of reasons, including the fact that it'll probably be a really boring game like it usually is. Yep. <laughs> but but um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, not blue, not green is teal. Kind of ask um, about Chicago on the opposite side. How was Chicago not better this year? They have lots of talents and resilience in the small sample size. Three games that they watched all against the Revs. Um, I, I think we would both agree that we've seen a lot of talent from Chicago. I, yeah. I think a lot of it's bad coaching. Um, you know, they had a coaching change. I think a lot of it's that. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, there are some holes in their roster. Right? You know, having a 36 year old Jonathan Bornstein playing center back at this point in his career is is uh, not a great sign for a team. <laughs> no, I, I, they do have a good team, and I think they have a very good base. I think they have a good future ahead of them. I said that last year as well, and it didn't really carry over but uh you know they have a lot of good pieces and to your point sean you're mentioning the coaching and uh, it, it's it's really unfortunate to see that it didn't work out but um yeah i, I can't think of the, the coach's name that they just let go but um it, it, they had the pieces of the puzzle they just couldn't necessarily put the puzzle pieces together but i'm looking at the at the roster and i'm saying you know mauricio pineda i'm saying alvaro madron Robert Barrage, who is a very good goal scorer, uh, even if he hasn't been necessarily great for the Chicago Fire, I think Barrage is a huge problem maker. And then Madrata, uh, Aliceta, uh, and Pineda, th- that trio in midfield, I think, creates a lot of chances. And I think, you know, Chicago has a lot to be excited for going forward. Uh, if they can start getting other pieces to help support them, uh, maybe another attacking piece for them is what they need. But um, yeah, and, and not to mention um, Gabriel Slanina, who yeah. their 17-year-old keeper, I think, such a bright future. I don't know how long he's going to be able to stay in MLS because that kid is really showing uh, quite a bit of talent. And uh, yeah, I, I think Slanina has a huge you know future for himself uh, professionally as well. Yeah, I'm very excited to see how he develops. And I, you know, if he if he keeps developing the way he's going right now, I think he's. You know he's a future on the U.S. national team the way he's playing uh, at 17 years old. So I, I'm extremely impressed by him. And you know I guess that's one other point on you know on that team in general is you know Bobby Shuttleworth was their starter for much of this year. And you know nothing against Bobby Shuttleworth. I think he's more of a kind of an average level MLS keeper. Where I think Slonina has the ability to be a lot much more than that. And that's something you know to kind of to watch going forward if they are able to keep him. Um, you know, we've seen in New England what what a good goalkeeper can do for a team with with Matt Turner, mm-hmm. um, and even you know, again, Bobby Shuttleworth had some good years with the Revs. He helped them get to an MLS Cup in 2014. But I think you can kind of see the difference between those two goalkeepers. And if you know, Slonina, I think is capable of being a top class goalkeeper, and and Bobby Shuttleworth is a, you know a, a good MLS goalkeeper, but not a great MLS goalkeeper that yep. um, can you know win you games the way that a Matt Turner could, or I think from what we've seen from Slonina that he might be capable of doing in the future. So, And Slonina started this year as third on the roster as well. They have Kenneth Kronholm as well, who was the starter right. going into the season. And I think that he's, you know, a better option, obviously, than, uh, than Bobby Shuttleworth. And Shuttleworth, of course, we all know him very well. I think he's a, a quality MLS keeper. But the fact that uh, Slonina beat out Shuttleworth to take that starting spot, maybe it's because Chicago knew they weren't going anywhere this year. But uh, he's getting some great experience so far. 
And I think that he has earned the number one spot on their roster ahead of Kronholm as well. Yeah, I think it'd be a travesty at this point for for him not to not to continue to be their starter, both for their sake and for uh, the, the potential future for the U.S. national team. Right. Um, so I mean, he's there's a lot of players to be excited about on that Chicago Fire team, but there's also you know significant holes in that team that you know need to be fixed if they are to be a contender. And like like I said, if when you see a, a lineup out there where you know no offense to Jonathan Bornstein, but at 36 years old he probably shouldn't be. Uh, you know, a guy that used to be a, a a pretty decent, but not amazing left back, and now playing center back at thirty six. I don't know that that just right there I, when I'm looking on paper is uh, not ideal. <laughs> right. Um, Gunner Gunzi on Twitter says WTF mostly. I don't think we need to respond to that. No. <laughs> uh, Eric on Twitter notes that there were flashes of brilliance, moments of opportunity, and all too familiar lapses. Captoom got his goal. We could have had five. Chicago could have had three. I feel like a draw was deserved after the break. What's the team talk to keep the team focused when the revolution go ahead and avoid what we were talking about earlier where they concede you know, goal so quickly? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that Eric's take away is uh, a draw would be deserved after the long break because I think I would go into this saying that the revolution came out almost guns blazing right they they came out with a very strong 11 almost your first team 11 and then they subbed on all attacking power at where Chicago approached this game differently you know they went out with like their standard 11 I guess and then they started subbing on some young guys you know they still have a 17 year old keeper I don't care I'm gonna say how good Slanina was but I'm also gonna say he's still 17 years old you can get in the 17 year old's head and you can make him make mistakes and he's going to make mistakes he's only 17 years old he hasn't made all the mistakes in the world he hasn't seen everything you need to start attacking a keeper like that coming away with the draw I think was unacceptable from a Rev's perspective, and I always try to be the positive person, and I'm having a real hard time staying positive with this result today. Um, but as far as everything else, Caps Hume getting his goal, you want to stay positive. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go on that positive train. That was so good to see to see Willie get that goal. Uh, it came out of nowhere. Did not expect that to happen. I did not expect Willie to score at all this season, to be honest, if I'm being frank here. But uh, I, I'm really happy to see it. It was a great goal and flashes of brilliance. Sure. There was there was moments uh, uh, here and there, you know, even at the at kickoff where Brandon Bay came down um, the sideline, uh, eventually took it out of the byline. Uh, he played it off his shin, I think it was, or something like that. He took a took a weird bounce and it ended a, a quick attack right at kickoff. But yeah, there was flashes of brilliance, there's stuff to be excited about. But I I feel like a draw was. Uh, uh, not a great result for the revolution yeah and, and and eric also quickly noted that there was a great crowd tonight and asked what the count was it was twenty eight thousand four hundred and fourteen. so that was a pretty good attendance for the Rebs. fantastic um trigger Girardi on twitter brings up captoom he said captoom looked more improved and tommy struggled is the door still open for captoom to take the final spot in the revs first choice 11 uh, what do you think chris uh i no i don't think that's up to her debate anymore i mean Great, Captoom had an okay night. You know what? He still got um, subbed off. Uh, I mean, I guess Tommy McNamara got subbed off first, but it, I don't know. I, uh, scoring a goal doesn't necessarily save you or put you in a better spot. You're not going to score from that position all the time. The The odds of that goal going in is astronomical. It wasn't a great shot. It, it was a good shot. 
and he was lucky to hit it exactly where he needed to. He was lucky to catch Lanina slightly out of position. Uh, that goal is not going in, you know, nine times out of ten. Well, it's, it's, not maybe, go, it's not going in if the turf's not wet from the rain either. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, I was going to add that point as well too. It, it was it had just started downpouring right before he scored. You know, there was a lot of a lot of elements that were going into play for that goal to actually go in. Uh, he did better tonight than he has done in past. I still think you need to be more consistent in order to earn a spot on the first 11. And that's the hill that I'm going to die on. I'm not going to open the door for anyone that's not going to be able to show any sort of consistency. I think Tommy McNamara has been more consistent than anything. And I don't think he necessarily had a bad night tonight. I thought he had a quiet night. I thought that maybe he got in the way of Bo a couple of times in the attack for some bizarre reason. I don't know what he was doing inside the box at those moments. But um, otherwise, I thought Tommy McNamara was just a quiet night. And it's still his spot to to lose, I guess. I don't even think that Willie can do much to take that spot away from Tommy McNamara. I think McNamara would have to lose that spot for anyone else to to be coming in. I'm with you 100%. And, you know, I thought McNamara had a quiet night as well. But if you're trying to talk about Captoom, I think Captoom's best nights for the most part up until now were nights where you could just say he had a quiet night. So, um, you know, he scored a a nice goal tonight. I I don't want to be too harsh. I thought he had a pretty good game. I thought probably his best game for the Revs. But at the same time, he was asked to play a pretty weird role. He was pushing up a lot. There were a lot of times where he was kind of the furthest guy forward, um, I noticed, which was interesting. And then I didn't think he actually did anything in those positions up until that goal. Um, I thought the first half he was you know, playing very far up and wasn't actually creating any chances or even being that involved. And my biggest issue with Captoom continues to be that you know he's a central midfielder. He should be very, very involved in the play. And he, he really, there hasn't been a game, you know, he's had, he has moments, you know, he scored a great goal. He's had, he had an assist uh, a few weeks ago. He's done, you know, some good things, but you know, when you look at his number of touches as a central midfielder, they continue to be really low. He played 67 minutes today and only had 40 touches. I think that's mm-hmm. up from some other games, but it's still not a very high number for a central midfielder. Um, and again, I think, I think he's gotten better. I want to give him credit. I think he scored a nice goal. Uh, Bruce Arena said after this game that, you know, multiple times said after this game that, uh, both on the broadcast and in the press conference that, you know, he's a guy that has needed to adjust to a faster paced league, which I, is always kind of funny to hear when, you know, someone's mm-hmm. coming from La Liga, which is supposed to be one of the best leagues in the world. And they're saying they need to adjust to play faster in MLS. Uh, but that's what he, you know, he said a few times and that that's always tough in the first season. So, um, you know, maybe that's the case and it'll be better next year, but I, I, I don't think there's enough time left for him to convince me that he should be starting over Tommy McNamara this year and again yep. like like you said that one goal doesn't change things for me i don't think he had that amazing of a game otherwise he had a few good moments but he also committed a, a sloppy foul just outside the box that uh led to matt turner's best save of the game you know if that if that goes in the, rev- the revolution are in a much different position in this game and it's because you know willie captoom did a bad job defending and you know committed a foul just outside the box so um yep. it, it, it was not a perfect game that's for sure I was waiting to pounce and, and to, to comment that at the end of what you were saying to, to mention the fact that he had a, it wasn't a slot, just a sloppy foul. It was a stupid foul. Yeah. Uh, not even 10 yards outside the box that led to a free kick. And it was a really good. I think it was Madron that took the kick. It was a really good free kick. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, Matt Turner was up to the challenge and made the save. But it, it also after that, it led to a corner kick. You know, you don't want to be conceded eating set pieces and all this started from a captoon foul that didn't need to happen in the first place uh it 
that drove me mad. And, you know, I, I was going to try to, I, I had a tweet ready to send out earlier today and I didn't send it out just because I thought that he was playing better overall, but I, I can't go all night without actually getting this off my chest, but I'm going to take a guy that played for Valencia over a guy that, you know, trained in La Masia any day. And that's it. That's going on record. 110. percent That's that's my final opinion. I don't care. Take anybody off Valencia, and put them ahead of uh, uh, ahead of anyone on La Masia. And <laughs> I, I don't care if if Cursed Revs comes back and finds me and and and, and I do something. I, I say something completely stupid there, but that's my take. 110 percent of the time now. Uh, it really. It, I mean, the the one thing I'll say is. The this guy has Barcelona on his resume. He must be way too good for MLS and is going to dominate here. Is such like an old way of thinking about MLS that I think has been proven time and time again isn't true. But um, yeah. I, you know, I I am less down on Captoom than I was a month ago. Yes. But I I still am very much not ready to say he belongs in the starting lineup. And the other thing you know to to bring up or that I wanted to mention is you know when you're thinking about. Cap to him, and and if you're in agreement with us that you know he doesn't get in the starting lineup, um, I did see other people asking like, is he going to get more minutes in the playoffs? Uh, you know, when the Revolution are losing in a game and Captoom's on the bench, I don't think you bring him on. I don't think that he's the guy you turn to. I think there's several guys that you bring on before him, whether that's Boateng, you know, if Bunbury's on the bench, him. Um, Tristison. You know, Tristison. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think he's the guy you turn to. And on the flip side, when the Revolution are up in a game and you want to bring on, you know, more defense to hold on to a lead, I don't think you bring him on either. So, um, if, you know, if he's not starting, I don't think he adds much value on the bench either, except in uh, except in a situation where you know somebody gets injured. Um, yep. So that's you know, I don't know. I, I I don't expect him to play a big part in the playoffs. I I honestly hope he doesn't. Uh, I I I don't like saying that because. Again, I try to be the optimist, and I really wanted to see the best out of Captoom. I was really excited for him, and maybe my expectations for Captoom coming into the season were set way too high to begin with. Uh, The Revolution did a really good job of hyping him up, and the fact that he just hasn't been able to deliver has really let me down quite a bit, you know, time and time again. And the fact that he did have a good game really didn't change my opinion whatsoever uh, on him. And you want to say it a good game, I don't... I don't even know if you want to call it that good of a game. He had a, he had a lucky goal and uh, it was still a very good goal. He deserves a lot of credit for that. I don't want to like downplay the goal, but it was still a, a lot of elements that, that played into that becoming a goal. And the fact that he conceded that, that foul right outside the box, it still it, it drives me crazy. Well, and the one last point I want to make is because I, I read a lot into the fact that, um, Captoom stayed on, McNamara was taken off. But, you know, at the time I read a lot into it, but now looking at it, McNamara is one yellow card away from suspension. So uh, I'm sure that also played into the Bruce Arena's mind when he was deciding who to take off because Polster is also one yellow card away. And if, you know, you happen to finish this game out and McNamara and Polster both got yellow cards and were out for the next game, that would leave quite the hole for the Revolution. So by, by taking McNamara off, you, you guaranteed at least one of them wouldn't get himself suspended. Unfortunately, neither of them did, but. Um, I think that probably played a role into to that decision as well. So I, mm-hmm. I guess in, in, in retrospect, I'm not reading that much into, into the timing of those substitutions. <laughs> um, several more questions. Cameron on Discord asked, are the Revs showing their weaknesses? Um, and he pointed out those two weaknesses being Bruce's game management and buy it right back. Um, thoughts there? I think we kind of covered this, but anything to add? No, I'm not going to add too much to this. I, I'll say the, the buy it right back thing. 
I think it's just him. He's he's learning to play right back a bit differently. He's learning to play more as, as a right wing back, and he's not necessarily coming back as much. I, I praise his defensive abilities before, and I, I still think that he has it, but his awareness, I think, is lacking. And the fact that he's not sitting back as much, uh, it, it's really exploiting his lack of awareness at right back and lack of ability to to come back in transition when he needs to. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you there. And, you know, it, it, again, though, I do think his awareness has been worse the past month than it was earlier in the season. So we'll see if, if that gets fixed. But, um, yeah, <laughs> Misha on Discord brings up something we also talked about before. Matt Turner's performance is very meh. Obviously an amazing save, but does it look like international duty tired him out? Um, I think we both agree it kind of does, right? Uh, yes and no. I, I, does it tire him out or does it? I mean, as a goalkeeper, you you get much less tired. I, I think it, I think it mentally I'm tires. I'm speaking him out as a goalkeeper, but more than physically, ment- the mental t- tired. I, I'm just thinking about when he came back from the Gold Cup and and was thrown right into a game and basically said he wasn't. He basically implied he wasn't necessarily fully ready for it and wasn't at his best. I, I kind of think that there's a mental aspect to it where he gets all. You know, hyped up for these international games, completely understandably, and then you know, coming back to the a less important Revs game yes. has has kind of an impact on him. Yeah, and, and so you're looking, you're getting amped up to play against Mexico, and then what lives up to that? How can you compete, trying to live up to the hype against the the Mexican national team, right? And then you come back and you're like, oh, I'm gonna play uh, play against Chicago Fire. Uh, it's not quite the same level that you're you're preparing yourself for maybe there is a bit of that uh that mental aspect with matt turner uh, you know maybe he needs a big game in order to really amp himself up it's hard to get excited to play against the chicago fire at least the 2021 chicago fire just like it's hard to get excited about playing a lot of other you know eastern conference teams the revolution have faced recently uh maybe that's start part of it i thought that he's been very meh the last few matches that you know ever since the gold cup i think i don't you know, maybe Orlando was the only time he had ever showed up and really looked like Matt Turner that uh, we've all come to really know and love. Um, I, I don't know if it really worries me because I think that he does show up when the time calls for him to really step up. I think that he does, you know, he, he steps up to the occasion when it's needed. But if there's nothing big going on, no no big storylines, nothing to really be excited for. I think he kind of takes a back seat, and, and maybe that is something mental with him that he needs to address. Uh, I don't know. Do you feel the same? Well, and kind of to your point too is you know when you're playing in these U.S. World Cup qualifiers or the Gold Cup, you know, knockout tournament. These World Cup qualifiers, you you know, if you lose the wrong game, you might miss out on the biggest tournament in the world, the World Cup. And then, like you said, you come back here and you're playing the Chicago Fire, where you already have the number one seed in the East locked up. Um, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't want to say that it, it is mental, but you. You have to wonder if maybe it is a little bit, um, because I, I would, right. you know, if, if I putting myself in his shoes, if I was, you know, playing in these extremely important World Cup qualifiers and then coming back to play the Chicago Fire, I, I, I wouldn't, I would have trouble viewing yeah. it as important when the only thing the Revolution are playing right now for is the supporters' shield that Bruce Arena seemed to imply he doesn't really care about. So, <laughs> well, you go from playing a game in El Salvador with all those crazed fans. Can I use that word? Is that a good word for them? They, you know, they were very a great atmosphere for El Salvador. It's got to be so difficult for an opposition to be going in there and, and, and facing uh, El Salvador with those fans behind them. And then you come back to, you know, I, I know the El Salvador game wasn't very recently. And I know the last game against Costa Rica was 
in Columbus and Matt Turner didn't even play. Uh, however, you have those types of atmospheres that Matt Turner is going up against. And then he comes back to MLS where he's got, you know, I, I know a lot of people that were talking about it over on Discord. A lot of people over on Twitter were just saying how the Revs game tonight was full of a bunch of families. And, you know, it's a lot of the MLS atmosphere and a lot of, you know, the outings are families. And it's a much more uh, docile environment when you're talking about the the, the fans and, and just how the, the landscape is when you're playing a match. And the fact that you don't have people hurling uh, beer bottles onto the pitch or, or cups of whatever they're throwing at you. You don't have, you know, all these rabid fans screaming at you. And it, it's a totally different environment. Instead, you have, you know, uh, one fifth of the of the crowd maybe clapping revolution or something like that. It, it's a very different atmosphere, and maybe that's that's some of what it is. Is that it's easy to check out. It's now a very tame game for him. It's not something that he's really stepping up for. I don't know if that's it. I'm completely speculating on this, but it, it could play into it. And the, and the other point too, I think that we we should should mention is you know I I completely agree with you that it doesn't take the same time to recover for a goalkeeper from a game that does from a field player, but there is still a lot of travel involved in these international breaks too, when they're playing yes. you know three three games in a very short period and. You know, there might be home away, home or away, home away, and they're traveling to different countries. That definitely takes a toll. Um, and you know, I think you can kind of get through that more for the to this to the same point we just made. I think you can kind of get through that more through adrenaline when you're going into a hostile environment like an El Salvador or like a Panama or, or wherever you're playing. Uh, I think there's some adrenaline that helps you push through that. And then again, you know, coming back here with a, a quick turnaround to, to play in a, a revolution game where you probably don't have exactly that same adrenaline. That that probably doesn't help either. So. Um, I will say Matt Turner's last traveling was just from Ohio. So that's, you know, a six hour drive. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot to say with this match as far as Matt Turner's travel. Uh, but yes, overall, I agree. There's a lot of like, especially the international travel. It, it is very wearing. Yeah. And uh, we had two last questions that are both about Tejan Buchanan. We talked a bit about him before. Mishan Discord wants to know, I mentioned that Tejan had a, a lot of selfish shots that I feel could have been more solid chances. And then Matthew P on Twitter says uh, Buchanan didn't show anything really in terms of passing tonight. Uh, if he doesn't work on his vision slash passes, what do you think about his future at Club Bruges? Um, Chris, anything to add from, I know we talked a little about Tejan earlier, but anything to add here? Yeah, look, this is just a, a byproduct of Tejan Buchanan at this point. This is what Tejan's game is. And it's the fact that he's, uh, I, I saw someone mention, use this phrase on Twitter. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, regurgitate it here. And I'm just going to say that uh, he's looking for the glory shot, right? He's, he's looking for glory. And that's kind of the way that Tejan Buchanan plays. The fact that he's got confidence under his feet now, it's really kind of showing that he does like those glory moments. And you know what? He delivers a lot of the time. You know, maybe not more often than not, but you give him five chances, he's going to he's gonna really take away at least one of those chances and come away with some glory. And is that a chance that the Revolution are willing to take? I don't know. It does feel a little different knowing that he's not going to be here at the end of this year. Is there a little bit of Tejan that just says, I don't really care anymore. I'm ready to move on. I'm done with the revolution. I, I don't know necessarily. I can't, you know, begin to speculate what Tejan is thinking in his head. Uh, but maybe that's going on with him. Maybe not. I, I don't know. I, I, Sean, I don't know if you have any thought or opinion as to what 
he's thinking necessarily, knowing that he is moving to Club Bruges after this. But overall, I think his selfishness and his lack of passing, I think that's just a byproduct of how Tejan Buchanan plays. I mean, my biggest complaint, like I said earlier from this game, was was not his lack of passing. It was that he tried to dribble the keeper instead of shooting it um, and dribbled yeah. into the goalkeeper. The glory. Yeah, yeah. So that was my biggest complaint. But I, 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 you know, I could see why, based on this performance alone, you might think that, you know, he's going off to Club Rouge, he, his his confidence is way up, and he maybe thinks he's better than some of his teammates and can, can go it alone instead of passing it. Um, I haven't seen enough this season to actually think that's the case. Um, you know, I, there were there were some situations this game where I thought he could have passed it and didn't. Uh, but like you said, he's a you know, very capable dribbler. He's very capable of creating chances for himself. He's very capable of creating chances for his teammates, and he does that plenty of times too. So, uh, you know, I, I get some concern from this one game, but I, I think the overall product that we've seen from him this year, I, it's way too soon for me to be thinking, you know, anything beyond it was just one performance where he had a couple of times that maybe he should have passed it and he didn't. I, I'm not I'm not worried about it. And I also don't think it means anything for his future at Club Rouge because he's playing really well for Canada right now internationally and, and showing he's a really talented player. So I, I'm not reading anything at all into what this means for his future playing over in Europe. Same. Yep. I think that's all we had for questions. I don't have any final thoughts today. Chris, did you have any final thoughts? No, no. I, I, I was going to try to think of something at the last minute off the cuff. I don't have anything else. You know, I'm just... I'm happy to see the Revs playing again. I'm looking forward to these last four matches. And, uh, you know, I guess it's all sites on the supporter shield at this point. And, uh, yeah, you know, let's go Revs from my point. And it is a crazy busy schedule for the Revs. The Revs return to action Wednesday night at D.C. at 7.30 p.m. That one's on my TV 38. Uh, I don't know if we'll be doing a podcast after that one. But, as always, you can follow us on social media uh, at Revolution Recap on both Facebook and Twitter, also on Instagram. Um, you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Chris, uh, where can people follow you? Yeah, you can find follow me over on Twitter. Uh, it's the best place to find me, at Chris Belucas. Or if you want to follow me just for soccer stuff, I'm also at, at Revs Revolt. And I think that's it for tonight. Again, not sure if we'll be doing anything after Wednesday. Uh, we, we do plan to do one after the Sunday game, if not. But we'll keep you posted. Thanks again for listening. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.